You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. All truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. That famous quote is from Arthur Schopenhauer, a 19th century German philosopher. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. I have found that one of the most powerful and enjoyable ways to grow, expand, and enrich our lives is to read great books. And our sponsor, Audible, has made that easy and fun for you by offering you an audiobook of your choice absolutely free that you can download at their website, www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. You get to choose the book that you want from more than 180,000 titles, and you get access for a month to all of Audible services absolutely free. When you get something of value from this podcast, go to iTunes, look for the title, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, leave a brief review and a rating for the show, a great way to pay this forward and to create more visibility and share this with more people. Keep your comments coming about what you're enjoying and also what you'd like to see in the show going forward. Send your comments to loseclub at gmail.com. That's L-O-U-S-C-L-U-B at gmail.com. Today's guest profoundly understands the meaning of the opening quote by Schopenhauer. She's a therapist who helps people overcome chronic pain. She knows that the mainstream view of physical pain can be violently opposed to the idea that our minds, our inner stories, are often the root causes of our pain. She's the author of the book, The Meaning of Truth. She also has a popular online course, freedom from chronic pain. She will challenge and inspire you to take greater control of your health and your life. Get excited to meet Nicole Sachs. Nicole, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Wow, that was a great intro. Thanks, Lewis. You're welcome, and thank you for creating that intro. Where were you born? I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I was at the university hospital, teaching hospital back in Baltimore when uh, my mother had the first unmedicated birth in that hospital. So that's her claim to fame. Strong woman. That is quite a claim to fame. By the way, I visited Baltimore many years ago doing research for a play I directed called Hot L Baltimore. That's hotel with the E missing. And I hung out for a night and a day in the red light district. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, you didn't always remain in Baltimore, right? You went to New York, Nicole? I actually grew up in New Jersey. Uh, I moved from Baltimore when I was very young, and we lived... um, a suburb of New York City, the Summit, Short Hills, Livingston area of New Jersey when I was young. And then I lived in New York City um, after college. And who would you say influenced you the most when you were a child? I would say it had to be my mother. I know that's kind of a stock answer, but I'm an only child. And so it was my mother, my father, and I. And I just um, spent a lot of time alone with her when I was really young, and she just loved to talk to me. She loved to talk to me like I was 
um, an, an equal. You know, not that she wasn't a parent. She was a great parent, but she also loved to um, allow me to have ideas and have discussion with her. And so we really, um, we really created a lot of interesting dialogue when I was really young. You're an only child. So I am. so am I. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Do you? Um, actually, it's funny. Um, I'm a mother of five. Uh, <laughs> I did not like it. I thought it was super boring and too quiet, and I like being in the middle of the action. So although it was great in terms of having my parents' attention, which I think I didn't appreciate at the time, I really thrive in the mix, in the, in the mix of it all. That's wonderful. And see, in my case, because I'm a Gemini, I really did have a twin. <laughs> now, did you have a childhood dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up? I did, actually. When I was a kid, I loved to act. I was a decent singer. I was not fantastic, but I loved being on stage and I loved being um, part of the energy of an audience and a crowd. And so when I was young, pretty much every year of elementary school, I was a very prominent part of the school play. And that used to make me so happy and excited. But when I hit adolescence and I got self-conscious, I just stopped doing it. But I do think that um, a lot of the work that I do today when I try to inspire people and bring them around to their healing has to do with those roots in me loving to act when I was a kid. How so? How is it related? Well, because what I do requires people to open their minds and get excited and get inspired because people who are in any sort of chronic pain or condition or symptom are often very stuck and very hopeless. And so... Part of what I like to do, especially when I speak to large groups of people, which to some extent is similar to the skills you need when you're on stage, is just engaging the group and really sending my heart out there and, and sending my own story out there so people are really inspired to sort of hit the reset button and change their own lives. Well, you know you're speaking to a person who passionately lives that and believes it. I do, um, yeah. I mean, acting... Um, Acting is not faking. Acting is bringing the authentic self to any role that we play. And yeah, have, having the ability to inspire people to use their imaginations, to relax, to touch their hearts right. and open them up, all of that. You definitely, definitely would have gained that from um, uh, an early childhood that was exposed to performance and acting. Yeah. Absolutely. So what are the major obstacles that you overcame to achieve success and fulfillment? Well, I guess if I think about it, the first thing I would say is overcoming my own initial chronic pain incident, which um, happened when I was 19 years old. I uh, My back went out in the classic sense when I was a freshman in college and I had to be literally carried out of school and brought home and went through the whole battery of tests. And I was diagnosed with a severe degenerative spinal condition um, called spondylolisthesis. And at the time, they, uh, you know, at the time, orthopedic surgeons believed that the entire um, root and reason for my pain was this abnormality in my spine. I've come to understand that we're all different. We're all different on the inside and we all look different on the outside. And so often normal abnormalities like what I have that probably was there when I was born tend to be associated with the reason for all of my pain, which led to um, some really scary limitations that were put on my life at the time. So until I discovered the mind-body work that I teach now, I was really down in the dumps about it. I spent a few years thinking... I was never going to have biological children. I was never going to be able to travel or live a full productive life. And so um, overcoming that and learning about the work that has now obviously created my entire career, definitely the biggest obstacle I overcame. That's very powerful. Yeah. Do you remember what your self-talk was like when your obstacles felt bigger than you? Oh, Yeah. And you know what? Listen, I'm human. I still have to talk myself out of that self-talk. I'd say the biggest thing for me is when something seems insurmountable, I get paralyzed. So, you know, like if it's a big, big thing that I have to undertake, I just tend to do nothing. 
And so what I have to do is press the reset button for myself and say, all right, listen, one step at a time. You know, I don't need to know how this is going to turn out. I just need to know the next right considered action. And sometimes that's just get out of bed, <laughs> stand up, you know, uh, get your day started, you know, wash the dishes. Like sometimes it's that simple and sometimes it's, I've got writer's block right now. I'm working. I don't have it at the moment, but I mean, like if I've got writer's block, I'm right now I'm writing my second book. It's like sit down and just do the work. Just do the work for, for one hour. And oftentimes that'll leave me at three or four hours. But I think sometimes my, my biggest problem is if something looks big, it just looks too big and I do nothing. <laughs> I don't know if you ever do that, but that, that's a big one for me. Well, what you just described is the, um, the key challenge to most people's lives and certainly to entre yeah. entrepreneurs' lives. Because I've heard that same wise advice that when you're looking at a task and you're just seeing it as so big that it seems impossible, mm -hmm. you've got to reframe and you've got to only look at one small step. And that's yes. a powerful psychologically. It's a, and that is a change of story. It's a change of story that changes your reality. So that's very, very strong. Yeah. So how did you begin to change that self-talk when it was overwhelming you and paralyzing you? You know, I think that life, so if I get philosophical for just a moment, I think that life is really a combination of mind, body, and spirit. I think that sometimes you can think your way out of something, <clears throat> sometimes you can walk your way out of something, and sometimes you need to invite in whatever you call it. You know, for me, it's the energy of the universe, Mother Nature, um, the connected energy of people, because I do believe we are all one. And so I think that the way I've gotten it out of that kind of space over the years is the first, I will say, is action. You know, life is a behavior modification program. You cannot think your way into better feelings. You must act your way into better feelings. God knows I have tried to think my way into better feelings. And so I do think what I just said, which is just get into action, just do one thing and start the ball rolling. So that's a big one for me. And another thing is inviting in help, whether it's help from the energy of the universe, like kind of help me out here. I know what I'm doing is going to better all of mankind. Like, what's my next step? And sort of listening for my intuition, those whispers that come to you about what it is that you should do next. And then, of course, it's when I say the thinking, it doesn't mean you can act without thinking. You have to be mindful. You know, what's the next kind thing I can do? What's the next right thing I can do? And I, I kind of think if you put all those together and you're patient with yourself, you really get somewhere. Again, very, very powerful uh, insights. You're familiar with uh, Tony Robbins's approach, I think. He, he uh, recommends that to change your state, you need to change three things. Your physiognomy, your, um, your talk, your self-talk, and what you're focusing on. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, he says that the most powerful way to do it, because you said it, you said it was action, it's changing the physical state first. You change mm -hmm. that and it makes a shift in your feelings, it makes a shift in your thinking. So you're changing the body, you're changing the thought process, and then the language that you speak to yourself because of that thought process. And you're creating momentum. That's fabulous. Yeah, and you know, I'll add to that that even though I have never heard Tony Robbins say that, I'm familiar with his work. I've never met him personally, but I've I've seen some of his work in action. Although I've never heard him say that, what I always find when you look at something that's true is that everything true is the same. You know, I just said that just out of my head, and Tony Robbins said that, and I'm sure you could read that somewhere from some great philosopher or some thought leader. And I just think that when people come upon a, a truth, a universal truth, it's always the same. I just find that in a lot of different disciplines. I agree. I don't think there's anything new under the sun. It's mm -hmm. what's new is the way a thought or an insight is expressed that makes people hear it for the first time. Yes. But exactly. there, there is nothing new. I mean, we can find all of this wisdom 
in the ancient books, you know. It's it's yes. it's always been around. Uh it is universal. Why mm-hmm. why do we still uh pay attention to Shakespeare, you know? Yes. Because yes. he touched on universal human truth and we all resonate with it today no matter you know, even if we are living in our in our cell phones. <laughs> yeah, true. What is the relationship between bodily pain and the mind? Wow. Okay, well, that's a big one for me. Um, well, I guess the best way I can explain it is what I try to teach people isn't so far afield from what you already think. Most people would agree that if you have a stressful day, you can have a headache. Most people believe that if you are panicked, you can break into hives or throw up or have to run to the bathroom for one reason or another. Most people believe that when you get bad news, you feel it somewhere. You feel it in your stomach. You, you feel it in your chest. You feel it in your throat. It tightens. Most people believe that without even thinking twice about it on a regular basis. But when pain becomes chronic, people stop believing that there could be an emotional component. And why? Because chronic pain is not really an epidemic of pain. It's an epidemic of fear. And as soon as we start fearing that we're in a bad space and we can't help ourselves, we rush to specialists, we rush to tests, we rush to treatments, even if it's alternative, holistic treatments, but we rush to focusing on the part of the body that is hurting us and we forget that there could be an emotional component. Like, for example, if I had a stressful day and I got a headache, but all I did was focus on my head and I got, you know, brain scans and I did all sorts of treatments to my head and didn't look at the fact that my day had been a horrible, stressful day and 10 things had gone wrong and I just sort of need to focus on that, that would be doing myself a disservice. So what I teach people to do is to safely and lovingly come to peace with certain levels of their emotional life, you know, for different different facets. And what happens to people, which is really remarkable in my work, and I've been doing this for many, many years, over 25 years if you count the work I've done on myself, um, is that the most catastrophic symptomology, the illnesses that people thought they could never get rid of, people who are on disability for years, it melts away because they've been spending so much energy repressing certain emotional groups that they have been suffering in pain. That is one of the clearest explanations I ever heard of that. What kind of illnesses uh, specifically have you seen? Oh boy, <laughs> so many. It, I, in my talks, when I when I speak to groups, I have a uh, PowerPoint slide that gives a, a sampling, and it it fills the whole thing. I had to make the font so small that I have to leave it up for so long for people to read it. But um, let me just give a I'll give you a sampling. Any sort of chronic back, neck, shoulder, knee, um, elbow, foot, leg pain, any of that that people don't have an explanation for. Fibromyalgia, irritable bowel disease, many skin disorders, um, many disorders for women uh, in the reproductive section. Uh, you know, there's lots of names that it's hard for people to talk about. Um, headaches, migraines, um even things that are labeled as autoimmune. Now, I don't suggest that I can cure an autoimmune disease, just like I don't suggest that I can make my spine look different on the inside, but I have had many clients who have had autoimmune diseases like lupus um, who just are symptom-free. They might still have lupus. I'm not familiar with exactly what diagnoses lupus, but they're symptom-free. So it's really about if you're suffering with something chronic that can't be treated or cured, Oftentimes, it's not that your diagnosis is not real. You still have fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia is a diagnosable set of symptoms that people suffer from, and it is absolutely debilitating. So I'm not ever suggesting that the pain is in your head. What I'm suggesting is that the pain may not be in your may may not be in your head, but the solution is not in your body. You can't take a pill and melt it away. Because although fibromyalgia is real, and it is fibromyalgia, the, the genesis of fibromyalgia is in emotional stimuli. So you can't fix a problem without looking at the genesis. I love it. It's going right to the source. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Was there a pivotal event that made you look at your own pain differently and start taking control over it? 
That is a great question. Was there one pivotal moment? Um, well, I'll, okay, I'll tell you something. There was a really dark moment. Should I go into the dark moment? Of course. Of course. Why not? Um, uh, there was, a, so I'm a mother. Um, one of the pa- most passionate things about me, probably the, no, the most passionate thing about me is, is the passion with which I love my children. Um, I wanted to be a mommy since a very, very young age. I was one of those, you know, when I was really little, I would wrap up all my stuffed animals and I would, swaddle them and I wanted to be a mom and so when I was first diagnosed with spondylolisthesis I was told there's a likelihood that I would never carry a biological child to term which was very very devastating for me and when I found this mind-body work and I healed my pain and I realized that that might not be true for me I um, was ecstatic and I had my first two children um, my daughter who is now 15 and my son who's now almost 14, so they're 22 months apart, and when my children were, uh, let's see, they were one and three, I had them at a deli, and I was attempting to pay, it was at the counter, and they were being one and three, which means they were running around like wild maniacs, and they were grabbing the candies, and grabbing all the stuff, and making a big fuss, and I was very overwhelmed, and embarrassed, and a lot of feelings that many mothers can relate to, And I took them by the wrists and I started walking them out to the car. And as I was walking them out to the car, my back started seizing up. Like I felt it. I felt it tightening and I felt the pain getting greater. And at the time, I wasn't far enough on my journey. I had understood the basics of mind-body medicine, but I hadn't delved in incredibly deep. And so I didn't really know what was happening to me. I cured it once, but there was still in the back of my head that lingering fear that I was broken because so many doctors had told me very dire things about my health. So I got to the car and all of this was operating, you know, uh, below the surface. Now that I know, I now understand exactly what was happening. And I got them to the car and I locked up and I couldn't get them in the car. And I was terrified because if I let go of either of their wrists um, in an active parking lot, they could have run right out in front of traffic. And I stood there and I just put my forehead on the driver's side window of my car and I just wept. I just cried. I was so miserable and I couldn't understand what was going on with my body and my mind. And I think that that was the point. It was like kind of mess with me, but don't mess with my kids. That I felt like I need to really delve, like what is going on here, really study and that's actually when I became inspired to go back to work. I had already gotten all my clinical degrees, but I was taking time off to have the kids. And I really learned the depths of what this work is about, why that recurred, which I understood then because I was still living in fear and I had more work to do for excavating some of the emotional trauma of my past. And that's what really launched me into what I do today. Wow. What, what snapped you out of it in that parking lot? You know, it's funny because I think probably what did snap me out of it is I was sobbing and I was so, I I surrendered. I stood in that parking lot and I surrendered because there was no one to help me. I couldn't reach my phone. I was not willing to, you know, scream out for help. I guess I wasn't that low. And I, um, and I stood there and I probably released enough of that tension and emotion in that sort of sobbing episode to get the kids in the car because eventually my back did relax and I was able to get them in. Wow. It was a huge moment for me. Storytellers, listen carefully because this is more than a story about pain. This is a story about stories and Mm -hmm. the mind and beliefs that affect emotions that then affect our bodies. And it's extremely powerful. Mm, Yeah. Who have been your greatest mentors? Well, first, obviously, Dr. John Sarno. He is an uncommon genius. He started doing this work in the 50s. He was completely ostracized by the medical community. I think that it, it hit him very hard. He mentored me through my early career. Well, first of all, he he taught me, saved my life. Um, to help me save my own life. And then I went to work with him at NYU Medical Center, um, Rusk Center for Rehabilitation in New York City. And for years, I spoke on his alumni panels where we would get together with a couple hundred people in the audience 
and we would four of us would sit on stage and tell our stories and then someone would run a microphone around the room and we would answer questions for a couple hours and he um he would sit on stage with us and he would just he worked tirelessly to help people understand this but i think he passed away a couple years ago just shy of 94 years old and you know i hope there is a way for people who have passed to see what's going on now because finally I believe that our consciousness is, is raising as a society and people are going to begin to take in the work that he developed that I'm carrying on. Beautiful. Have you invested in any formal personal development training? Um, well, aside from my, you know, my degrees and working with Dr. S- I, I guess really it would must have, it mostly was working with Dr. Sarno all those years because I have gone to different um, you know, at Kripalu or at Omega, I don't know if you're familiar with those, but they're like um, spiritual retreat centers. I do stuff like that all the time to expand my consciousness. But in terms of my core work, it was from working with him. Okay, but that other work is certainly um, oh, part, part of personal awesome. development. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Are there any famous thought leaders today that you admire? Oh, man. Let's see. Oprah. <laughs> I got to tell you, I really admire Oprah, and I'll tell you why. Because I think Oprah was brave before people were brave. I really love when people are like that. You know, when people say, I don't care, I'm going to be out there, and I'm going to be me. I remember growing up watching the Oprah Winfrey show every day at 4 o'clock. I would come home from school, and I would watch that show. And she would be on there being real and crying with people and putting their, her hand on their knee and saying, I am with you. And that is something that I do. I am really with people when they're healing, whether it's a group of hundreds of people that I'm speaking to or if I'm doing a retreat for 10 people, a private retreat. I am so with them because I so understand what it is to suffer. And so I always appreciated her uh, bravery and willingness to be in it with people. Mm, yeah, yeah, she's uh, truly an inspiring human being. Mm-hmm. I was, I had the question, what was your darkest moment? But I think you already gave us that. Oh, for sure. That Um, would have been my darkest moment. Why do all people tend to put others on a pedestal? Why do people tend to put others on a pedestal? Probably because they need to. I think people sometimes need to believe that other people have got it all together so they can feel safe. And I actually think to some extent that works, like to some extent that's an adaptive thing to do until it doesn't work anymore. You know, to some extent, our society, like say if we put doctors on a pedestal and we say, if I'm sick, I go to this person and they make me better. But the problem is, if indeed that doesn't make you better, we end up feeling really powerless. And so I think one of the most important things about putting people on a pedestal is when our personal power is compromised, we need to take that power back. I agree. I mean, the reason I asked that question is because it's a very um, widespread experience. I mean, that people, we all do it. I tend to do it mm-hmm. myself. Our tendency is to diminish our own worth and give others outside of us uh, an image that's higher than ours. Yeah. And it's dangerous, especially when it comes to professionals. We uh, stop questioning their authority. You know, doctors mm-hmm. are a great example. You know, that's um, it's a very, very uh, sensitive area. What do you say to someone who thinks they have nothing to offer? To the world. Oh, man, I say, of course you do. And of course I would say that, but I have to say the most important thing I've ever felt about people who don't have something to offer is you must, this is where it comes back to life being a behavior modification program. You must do one thing because thinking you have nothing to offer means you're stuck. So the only way to get unstuck is to, to put yourself into action and to let the world be your mirror. You know, you think you have nothing to offer, offer what you might have to offer and see what happens. Because oftentimes the world will meet you and that will start to prove to you of all your worth. 
you know, people need that sometimes. Great. I love the way you said that. You said it with such certainty and clarity. <laughs> I tend to do that. That's great. That makes you a wonderful therapist. What are your greatest strengths as a therapist? Uh, definitely that I'm willing to get in it with people. I mean, I was trained. Okay, so I really wanted to be a clinical psychotherapist. And so I trained in a very clinical program. And I loved my my training. I think I got excellent training. But I think that one thing I was taught that I really had to buck was that a therapist is this like anonymous separate entity from the client and you are the therapist and they're the client. I was trained. You don't even tell them if you're married. You don't tell them if you have kids. And like, I get it. That's very Freudian and that's very psychoanalytic. But what happened to me when I was in my first um, uh, training, my first uh, internship, I had a young lady. She was probably in her teens and I was an unpaid intern. So she was probably coming to me for next to nothing. And um, she told me about some very significant abuse in her past. And she was crying at the end of the session. And she said, can I give you a hug? And I said, sure. <laughs> so I gave her a hug and she left. And when I went to supervision, I got just, I, I really got handed my ass. <laughs> I got in big trouble. And they said, that's breaking boundaries. And you cannot be so personal. And you cannot ever show that kind of emotion. And you and I said, oh, okay. And they said, you need to ask her what is happening that you need to ask for a hug. So I listened to my supervisors and I went in and I sat with this poor girl who just needed a little bit of support and infection and somebody in it with her. And I said, well, talk to me about why you needed that hug. And she did. I mean, she was awesome. And we talked for a while. And then at the end of the session, she goes, well, can I have the hug now? <laughs> and I go, you know what? Yes, you can. <laughs> and I just didn't tell my supervisor. I, I just think that sometimes you have to follow your intuition as a therapist. Sometimes you have to say, what does this person really need? Do they need a little basic, boundaried human affection? Well then, okay, they can have it. Do they need to know that I have kids so they can feel that they understand that I'm a mother too? Sure. You know, I, I don't, I don't feel that I need to be this anonymous, you know, uh, separate being in order to be effective. I agree with you. It's uh, bringing the humanity to it uh, is absolutely crucial. I mean, that's how mm -hmm. you create rapport and, uh, you know, your compassion can be of a healing force. Yeah. You know, what are your biggest weaknesses, you would say, as a therapist? Well, I've done a lot of work on this one, but my biggest problem when I was a new therapist is bringing the work home with me mentally. I have a huge problem with wanting to fix and save. And so when you're young, and especially when I was first starting out, I was a school social worker in middle school in an area with a pretty significant degree of poverty that I would just want to bring all these kids home with me. I would want to go school shopping for them. I would want to clean their rooms for them. I would... And I had to really learn from, from, from some painful moments that I can't do that. You know, I can only offer what I can offer in the moment. And I can do that with my whole heart. But then I have to go home and live my life. I have to have that mental boundary. That's great. That's really, really great. Thank you. Do you think that humanity is right now at the dawn of a new age? Oh, God, I hope so. Um, I do believe so. I do believe so. Sometimes I get um, down when I see certain things that are happening in our world. But I have to say that I do believe that consciousness is shifting, that mindfulness is becoming a word that is in the common vernacular now. And people are starting to awaken to the fact that it is only in our own hands that our lives can be the best life that we can live in terms of I need to be my own best advocate. I need to take action when something is going wrong with me instead of putting my power in the hands of others, which is why I hope for the memory of Dr. Sarno and for the work that I strive to do every day, this is going to be a real time that people can embrace it. Yeah, I I, I agree again. I, I really do feel that um, this is an amazing age where we're on the cusp of uh, evolving into... A, a whole new level of what we define as human. Yes. And um, 
It's going to take people with courage and imagination who can embrace their power and not be afraid of it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. not run away from, was it Marianne Williamson, that wonderful quote about, you know, it's not that we're inadequate, that, you know, uh, as our biggest fear, it's, it's, we're afraid that we're, we have so much power. Infinite power. Yeah. yeah something like that. You know? Yeah. I know that one. That's a good one. And, uh, it's so, so true. What is your favorite book? Oh boy. Well, I have a lot of favorite books, but I'll tell you my favorite book of the last few years is, um, Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. I don't, have you read it? No, tell me. Oh my God, you must read it. Um, Tiny Beautiful Things. It's actually, uh, it was for a, for a period of time, and I don't know if it is any longer. It was a play at the Public Theater in New York City, but, um, because it was made into a play. But Cheryl Strayed, I think, is a beautiful writer, and she wrote this book, Tiny Beautiful Things, about her time being Dear Sugar at the Rumpus.com. She was an advice columnist. She, nobody knew it was Cheryl Strayed for the first couple of years, but um, she would take people's questions, and it was, I think, the first significant advice column where it wasn't like a Dear Abby in the local paper where maybe you could be identified. This is my interpretation of it anyway, so that people were so honest. People were so raw, and they wrote in with their heart just wide open, just 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 laid open bare, and she would respond in the same in the same way, just so honest and so personal. And it is just a beautiful, moving book. It's it's little vignettes of the letters and her responses, and I just oh god, I was so moved. I've read it I've read it three times. My 15 year old daughter has read it and underlined it. It's a beautiful book. There's no mistaking how you feel about that book. <laughs> I love the book. <laughs> Do you have a favorite quote? Hmm, I have so many favorite quotes. The one you opened the interview with is a great one. Um, but I would say, if I had to pick my favorite quote, it is Mark Twain, and it is, tell the truth, and then you don't have to remember anything. <laughs> Good old Samuel Clemens. Mm. Tell the truth, and then you don't have to remember anything. Yes, sir. Yeah, that was this whole thing about lying, right? Yeah. If you could wave a magic wand and change just one thing in the world, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. I hadn't really thought about this one. Uh, I guess if I could wave a magic wand, I would... Open people's minds to the possibilities of what they hadn't yet considered. If I could just wave it and I could, I could have a spark go through a person, each person, where they could just pause, press that little pause button in their, in their hearts and minds for one moment and say, let me consider something I haven't considered yet. Because what happened to me when that was, that little pause button was hit in my mind and heart is that it has created my entire life. Not only do I have these beautiful children and a life that, you know, beyond my wildest dreams, I have really helped thousands of people because, you know, I've got the book and I got the course and I have my clients over the years and I get these emails of these people who said, I was completely finished. I was done. My life was over. I was on disability and now I'm pain-free living this life that I could never imagine. And I can't even tell you what that means to me. Like I cry constantly just reading these letters. And so I guess that's what I would do if I could. The, uh, how, how do you, uh, how do you run your practice? People come to you, you have a, uh, do you do any of your therapy online? Well, it used to be that people came to me. So for years I had just a private practice, regular office, and then it became too, um, worldwide for that. So then I started working pretty much ex- exclusively remotely, which was either, you know, FaceTime or Skype or on the phone, phone sessions. And what I did about a year and a half ago is I closed my private practice, which means I still have a small private practice, but I'm not accepting new patients. Um, people should know that if they're listening, I'm not accepting new patients because I get a lot of emails about that. But what that's when I wrote the course. So I kind of took time off. I wrote the course. And the course is essentially what it's like to work with me. And people can experience that and do this work on their own because the volume is too high for me to work personally with people. I do have a consulting business where I work 
like I do a one a one time consult with people. All of this information is available on my website, and um, and I also speak and I write and I teach, and that's really what I'm trying to grow right now because um, that's the only way. I mean, it, this has become so important, and so many people are interested in learning about it that I think the best way to use my energy, and also, like I said, I'm raising five kids, so I have a lot of energy that I put there, but for my work, the best way I can do it is to to speak and to um, get the word out to as many people as possible, because once you get what I'm explaining, you could do the work for yourself. You know, yes, a therapist is fantastic, and having that support is great, but um you don't need to work with me personally to do this. Like if you took the course and you started doing this for yourself, you can be pain free. And again, what's the name of the course? So uh, they can find the course at my website. So the course is called Freedom from Chronic Pain, but my website is thecureforchronicpain.com. And I also have a YouTube channel with lots of free information that is um, also named The Cure for Chronic Pain with Nicole Sachs, LCSW. That's on YouTube. And I also have um, a Facebook page that um, I moderate that people, you know, hundreds of people are helping each other there called Journal Speak with Nicole Sachs um, because I Journal Speak is the method by which I teach people to heal, which is something they'll learn a lot more about if they look into my work in my course. And then if you want to buy the book, it's available on Amazon, The Meaning of Truth. Fantastic. Now, I was introduced to you through another person I interviewed, uh, Steve Ozanich. Yes. And he is also in the same field that you are. Yes. How, how did you meet? Are you, did you collaborate in any way? And uh... Steve and I have not collaborated like officially, but we are colleagues and friends. And we met through our um, work with Dr. I work directly with Sarno and he has written a fantastic book um, at actually two or three books he's written um, on Dr. Sarno's methods. The Great Pain Deception is his big one. And um, so Steve and I have just um, we're, we're, we're very um, we're, we're colleagues because we both share a very similar um, feeling and thought about spreading Dr. Sarno's work. Do you still receive um, resistance from members of the medical community? Oh, I mean, it's more its more than resistance. I just think the medical community does not see emotional stimuli as a, a part of, like, legitimate diagnosis. And so sometimes I receive resistance, but more, more than that, it's mostly just ignored. That's why, you know, when I often speak to groups of people, I say, listen, if you went out there into the medical world or just into the world in general and said, you know, this is what I'm doing, you might get the response, well, that could never work for everyone. And what I say to each person is, right, but I believe it can work for you. Each person in this world for their health and, and for other things too, but let's just focus on health because that's me, is you have to be your own advocate. You cannot listen to what other people tell you is true about you. If I had done that, my life would look very different today. So what I say to people out there is, you, the life you save is your own. You can do this. And if each person hears that and they go and try to do it for themselves and then they see a change in themselves and then they go and talk about it, that's how real change happens. That's how enduring change happens. Yes. Are you familiar with Les Brown? Vaguely, not well. I would look him up. You'll love him. He's um, all over the web and certainly on YouTube. Very inspiring and extremely entertaining. But the reason I'm bringing him up is he has a very powerful story that um, is a, an example of what you just said. As a child, I don't know the reason. He never really talks about the reason, but he was labeled educable mentally retarded mm. okay and he started to believe it and one day he was in a classroom with a new teacher and the teacher said son i want you to come up here and i want you to write he asked him to write something on the board and les said i can't sir he said, why not because i'm the dumb twin so what did you say son the dumb twin 
And the kids started laughing, and they said, yeah, 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 he is. He's, he's the dumb twin. His, his brother is the one who's smart. And the teacher, you know, uh, ignored the kids, and he asked Les to come up to the board. He looked at him. He said, son, don't ever let someone's opinion of you become your opinion of yourself. Yeah, that's a good one. Go up to the board and write. And he did. And he attributes that moment as his breakthrough. This man, without education, is today one of the most respected motivational speakers on the planet. Wow, I'll definitely look him up. Not only that, he became a disc jockey. And for a while, he was married to Gladys Knight of the Pips. (laughs) I mean, he's absolutely, I've met him. He's an amazing, inspiring person. But his life exemplifies what you're talking about. You know, I'm beginning to think that your book might be helpful for people who aren't suffering from chronic pain just because of the psychology in it. Well, I would I would definitely say it would be. I mean, when I first wrote it, I did, of course I was writing about chronic pain, but I really, I write it about, do you want a better life? So my book is, it, it, it is, yes, it is definitely teaching people how to heal from chronic pain. But the reason I'm writing my second book right now, which the working title is called Journal Speak, Heal Yourself, is because the book that I wrote, The Meaning of Truth, is not just about healing yourself from chronic pain, do this, do this, do this. It's actually a memoir of what happened to me in my life. And, it's, and, it, and it also is about unsticking yourself when you're stuck. So yes, the mind-body connection is not just about when you somaticize your pain. It's also just about when you feel like, is this all there is? You know, is this the best it's going to get? That's not necessarily the best it's going to get. There could be so much out there for you if you open your mind to embracing all of you. I love it. I really love it. I'm curious, are you a single mom? I am not. No, I, I am divorced. That's why I have five. I have three biological kids, and I'm remarried. So I okay. do have a partner in life. <laughs> you know, as I was wondering, with everything you do, how do you manage five kids? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I have an awesome marriage, and uh, my kids are also, like, awesome. I mean, I have to say, I, know, I take a lot of credit because we are incredibly loving parents, um, and they also have a really strong connection with their dad. But my kids are just these great kids. Everyone looks at me and says, five kids, because they're between the ages of, at right now, 10 and 15. And everyone's like, five kids between 10 and 15, how do you do it? And I say, it is so easy. They are the loveliest. They are kind to each other. They're smart. They're interesting. I, I love being with my kids. What does your husband do? It's actually my wife. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, and sometimes that surprises people. Um, my my ex husband is a veterinarian, and my wife is a professional photographer. Wonderful. And where can we see her work? Uh, she she's Tiffany Caldwell Photography. She does documentary family photography that is just stunning and beautiful. You Tim- can find her Tiffany Tiffany Caldwell Photography. Okay, I'll look it oh, up. Shout out! Shout out to Tiff. She's gonna love that. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Any final thoughts for our storytellers today? Uh, I guess my final thought is if you are sitting there listening to this and either in pain or thinking that your life is, you know, mildly okay, but not what you imagined, please do not accept that. You have no idea what could be out there for you. And when I invite people to do my work and they start looking into the amount of energy it's been taking them to repress different emotions or different patterns and they start to reveal that and they start to allow a steam valve to come out with the journal speak work that I teach and they get all this energy and this freedom and they get new ideas and they start a second career or they start a hobby and that opens them up to a whole new world. This is your life, right? This is the one you get. So do it and don't give up on it. I love it. Absolutely. It's all about changing your story and changing your life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you today. I love your clarity and your passion. You've contributed a tremendous amount to the storytellers today. Is there any question that I didn't ask you that I should have? 
No, actually, I thought you did a great job. <laughs> Thank you very much. And um, yeah, you've uh, lit up the world. Oh, thank you so much, Lewis. I appreciate that. And thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Nicole Sachs. Pay this forward. Let people know that they can hear this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. Remember that at the website, there's a gift waiting for you. A downloadable free ebook that I created just for you called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. You heard the excitement in Nicole's voice today. She's passionate about life, she's passionate about books. Open yourself to Nicole's passion and excitement, and to mine as well. Certainly, Start reading more books. They will expand your world and help you to step into a higher plane of living. Remember to go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and choose an audio book that you love, totally free, downloadable at that site, and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles, and you'll get an entire month free of all of Audible's service. Nicole shared many exciting insights today about the way our minds fool us sometimes. For instance, in her case, the mind was telling her that she had physical pain that had a physical base, but she discovered that that physical pain had an emotional base. There are people like Nicole and myself who believe that almost all of what we experience can be traced to the emotional blocks that we have. And those emotional blocks are related to our belief systems, to the stories that we have in our heads. During the next week, Invest some time quietly looking inside and acknowledging the areas where you're experiencing pain, pain perhaps of regret, pain because of frustration, or even physical pain. Be willing to open your mind to the possibility that you can change that by changing your mindset, changing your beliefs, changing your story. And of course, always begin by asking this question, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.